to be here? Now let me ask you, where you're sitting right now, is it cool? How many say it's cool? How many say it's a little bit warm? Is it warmer up here than it is back there? Is it warmer back there than it is up here? Because if it's cooler back there, I'll go back there and preach. Somebody turn that thermostat down over there on that wall. I turned this one down right here. I'm just one man. I can only do so much, but I did turn one down. But maybe if you hit that one down a little bit, it'll cool us off. We have the door open out there. Can you feel it? Can you feel the air? How many of you are just perfectly satisfied today? You're dismissed. You don't even have to stay. <laughs> hey, we want to welcome you. We're glad you're here. We want to welcome those watching online with us at home and uh, or wherever you may be and hope that uh, you got a crowd with you when you do that. So today we're going to do a standalone sermon and we're going to have communion and next week we start a new series. So um, how many of you were here last Sunday? So you got to hear a good sermon last Sunday. Came back anyway because I'm preaching today, but I'm glad that you're here. And you know, for some reason, we got a good crowd. For some reason, we don't have as many people uh, today as we had on Easter. I don't know why that is. Uh, because that always happens, but we do have a pretty good crowd, so look at the person next to you and just notify them that they will be in heaven because they're here today. They didn't just come Easter and then not come back. They're here, right? Okay, great. Well, back when Abraham Lincoln was serving as the 16th president of the United States, he would often slip out of the White House and attend the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church there in Washington, D.C., he usually did that at night, and he would go in a little bit late so as not to distract from the message and what was going on in the service so that people wouldn't see him. He would just sit in the back, slip in, and listen. The preacher at that time was a guy by the name of Phineas D. Gurley, and uh, Lincoln enjoyed hearing him preach. Well, on one particular night, as the president and his aide were making their way back to the White House, the staff member asked the president what he thought of the sermon, and Lincoln said he thought the sermon was fine. But when the staff member pressed him for his real opinion about the message, Abraham Lincoln said the sermon failed because Dr. Gurley failed to ask us to do something great. The sermon failed because the minister failed to ask the congregation to do something great. I don't want this message to fail today. So I'm going to ask you to do something great because I believe this is a great church. Amen? And I believe that we can, we're up to the task of doing something great as individuals and as a collective group. So that's why I'm here today. I'm not here to entertain you or impress you, and I'm certainly not here to manipulate you. But I am here to challenge you and ask you to do something great. Now, before you and I can do anything great, we have to have a healthy self-image. Would you agree with that? We've got to see ourselves personally from a healthy place. We've also got to see our church from a healthy place to accomplish any positive results. Now, in 1 Peter, we get some directive here as to what the church is all about. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession.'" 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And Peter's saying the problem that we face is if we have a poor self-image, that's really a spiritual problem. It's something that we need to turn over to God and ask Him to help us have a more healthy self-image, a positive one. Now, there's people in the world who have a very, very, very strong opinion of themselves, right? Are you one of those people? Do you know any? Yeah. And so, and so that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being proud and being above everybody else. But I am talking about seeing ourselves from God's perspective so that we might be healthy in the way we see ourselves to produce positive results and so that our church can produce positive results. So Peter says that's the problem we face. And, and basically he says we've got to be who we are. In other words, what you see is what you get, right? You ever date anybody? And, you know, it's the first date, and you're trying to get to know them, and you're trying to find out what they're really like. And maybe when you saw them, you thought they were one kind of person. By the end of the date, you're sure they're not. They're somebody else. Hopefully, you find that out before it gets too serious then. And, you know, then you got to backtrack, right? But, but sometimes people don't. They're not what they appear, right? Well, he says, just be honest. Just be authentic and communicate the real person. Otherwise, it's hypocrisy. Now, who's Peter writing to when he writes this? He's writing to the Jewish Christians in Asia Minor who are thinking about leaving Christianity because they're afraid they're going to be persecuted for their faith. And so what he's saying is, don't give up, hang in there, because God says we're really special. In fact, he gives them four specific characteristics that we just looked at. He says, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. Now, that sounds like a unique special group of people to me. Let me ask you a question. Do you see yourself in those terms? When I talk about that, do you see yourself that way? Is your self-image positive? Do you see your church that way? You know, when I start thinking about it, I don't always feel all that chosen. I don't always feel like I'm that royal. Do you feel royal? I don't always feel royal. Do you feel like you're holy? I mean, people talk about Holy Joe all the time. They're not talking about me. They, that's just a term, okay? Uh, and they talk about being special. Look at the person next to you and ask them honestly, do you really feel those characteristics for yourself? Go ahead and ask them right now. What did they say? How many said yes? How many said no? How many were undecided? How many of you really don't care either way? <laughs> well, you know, I struggle with feeling that way. I don't always feel that way. Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church. And in it he says, every church has to have a vision. Without a vision, they have no purpose or goal. Proverbs says it this way. Where there is no vision, the people perish, right? Rick Warren has a paraphrase of that. He says, where there is no vision, the people find another parish. That's right. Because who wants to go to a church that has no goals and has no vision and is not based on Scripture, right? And so Warren says that, and I agree with him. 
Now, churches and people have to be healthy to grow, right? Would you agree with that? And that's the way the church is designed to grow. I believe this is a healthy church, and that's why I don't have any hesitation asking you to do something great. Let me just mention some signs of a healthy church. The pastor and the staff are always behind on their work. I can't believe that y'all didn't say amen to that. Amen. I got staff sitting right here, and they just went right over their head. I, you're going to have to work with me on this, okay? Yeah, we're, we're all the time trying to catch up, aren't we? Huh? Amen? Man, alive. They're taking a nap over there. They're worn out. Now, there's new groups cropping up all the time and bumping into each other over schedules. If you ever try to schedule something here, sometimes it can be really challenging. There are kids that are noisy. They keep running up and down the halls and make noise in worship. Things are changing. Nothing's like it used to be. The front door's almost off its hinges. The utility bill's way over budget. Lots of people seem to have keys, and there are all kinds of groups coming and going. Sometimes people say to me, who's meeting at the church right now? I say, I don't know. I don't have a clue. I don't schedule that stuff. I can't. You think I can keep up with all that? I mean, it's all I can do to figure out when I'm supposed to be here, right? And so I don't know. If the preacher knows everything that's going on at the church, there's just not much going on at the church, let me tell you. And then the place is full of losers, people who have lost loved ones, people who have lost jobs, people who have lost hope, people who are struggling and realizing, hey, I just can't make it on my own totally. I need support from God and others. People who are losing but finding their lives in receiving and giving lots of love for Christ's sake. Now, that's a pretty good definition of a healthy church, wouldn't you say? So I want us to look at the outline. There's some key ingredients here for a healthy church. The first one is the great challenge of loving. That's the first thing. You know, I've had people in my ministry, I've had people who were in the church for years, and they finally decided, hey, I just believe God's calling us to go to another church, but they weren't angry, and they came and talked to me. You know what they said? They said, before I go, I want to tell you this. I think this is the most loving church I've ever been in. We just feel led to go over here for a while and do this. But they weren't angry about it. Well, you know, I think if it's a loving church, that's a real good place to start. There's a lot of other things you can be. But if you're a loving church, then that means you're loving to people and and you're open to them and you want to reach them. I believe the way we see ourselves is tied up to our relationship with God. If God's pleased with us, then we're pleased with ourselves. If he's pleased with our church, then we'll be pleased with it as well. I can't tell you how many people I've seen in the ministry over the years who've come to my office and they just can't believe that God could love them. There's so many people who are broken, so many people who are struggling. And they say, you know, God can love other people, but God can't love me. And I just want to say that's a lie. I just want to say that if you're here today and you're thinking God can't love you, he, he does love you. You're his child. He loves you very much. And when they realize that, it's a real breakthrough for them. And they realize, you know, God loves me just the way I am, but he loves me too much to leave me that way. He wants me to grow and change and become more. The problem is that we believe that we have to make ourselves good enough to present ourselves to God. Have you ever talked to anybody who thought that? Well, let me just work on becoming better, and then I'll talk to God about my life because right now I'm not good enough to even talk to him. And there's no way that you'll ever succeed at that. Because if being good was all it took to be a Christian, we'd just all be good. But we can't be good, not all the time. We fail, don't we? We have shortcomings. 
We know that God loves us despite our shortcomings. Realizing he loves us helps the way we look at God, ourselves, and others. I love the story of the girl who's dating two guys. And she's trying to decide which one of them she's going to marry. And she says, well, you know, when I'm with John, I think he's the most wonderful person in the world. But when I'm with Bill, I think I am the most wonderful person in the world. Well, let me ask you, how do you think that you and I make people feel? That might be a good question to ask ourselves so that we might be the people God has called us to be. The longer I live, the more I'm convinced that people don't need to be impressed nearly as much as they need to be encouraged. Would you say that, that our community needs to be encouraged? We've gone through this storm. People are still trying to find housing. People are still struggling. It's been a long time, and yet we're just getting started in a lot of places, aren't we? And you see it all the time when you drive around, particularly if you go east, you see it much more, right? And so it's a tough time. It's a difficult time, and people are having a hard time. The way we see ourselves has a direct correlation to the way that we treat other people. One day a little boy came home from church and his daddy said, Now tell me, who was your Sunday school teacher? And first he said, I don't know. But then he thought about it for a minute. And he said, You know, I think it must have been Jesus' grandmother. <laughs> he said, Well, what made you say that? He said, Well, all she did was hold up his picture and brag on him the whole time we were there. <laughs> hey, that's not bad teaching, is it? You know, you can learn from that. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. When we lift up Jesus Christ in the church and love him, then we see that shown in our actions. Now, the second great challenge is giving. Now, this really happened. I don't know how many of you in here, y'all remember a guy named Paul Harvey? Anybody in here know who I'm talking about? Okay, for those of you who don't know who that was, there's this thing called radio. And we used to listen to people talk on it and sing on it. In fact, on Old Brother Where Art Thou, they said, there's a fella in there that will pay you to sing into a can. Well, we used to listen to that, and there was a guy named Paul Harvey, and he would tell the rest of the story. He would tell you a story, then he would tell you the rest of the story. Well, he was just also did a daily show just talking about facts and things going on. Well, on that particular show, he was talking about the Butterball Turkey people because they had a hotline. Thanksgiving was coming up, and that you could call in and ask people how to cook your turkey, right? So people were doing that. It was a promotional time for Butterball. This woman, this really happened. This woman called in, and she asked about a turkey that she had had in her freezer for 23 years, okay? Talk about not keeping up with your inventory. I mean, can you believe that? 23 years, and she wanted to know would it be safe to eat this 23-year-old turkey, so the operator said, well, it might be safe if it was in the freezer and if it was under 32 degrees for that whole time. But the operator warned her that even if it was safe, the turkey had probably lost its flavor and she would not recommend eating it. And so this woman, still on the line, thinking out loud as an afterthought, actually said, well, that's what we thought. I guess we'll just give it to the church. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus, if Jesus came to your house for Thanksgiving, would you feed him that turkey, okay? 
If it's not good enough for Jesus, don't bring it to us. We don't want it, okay? Throw it out. Let it go. It's just not any good for anything. But is that your attitude about giving? Well, I just give what's left over. Maybe you say, well, I can give some time and I can give some talent. But, but you know, I'm just going to give what's left over after I do everything else. Luke 12, 48 says, for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Now look at each other and say this. You have been given much. Go ahead and do that right now. That's the truth. Do you believe that? If you compare our country to other countries in the world, we're some of the most blessed people in the world because they don't have near what we have. And so to whom much is given, much shall be required. There's a story of a guy, a drunk, true story of a guy that was drunk, and his name was Joe. He was converted in the inner city mission. Before he was saved, he had a reputation. People said there's just no hope for Joe. But then he got saved, and everything changed. He became the most caring person in the mission. He spent his days and nights there. He would help clean up the drunks after they had had accidents. He would put them to bed at night. One night, they had a preacher come into the mission, and he was preaching on grace, and he was telling the alcoholics there how they could be saved and how God could forgive them. And at the end of his message, he said, if you would like to be saved, if you would like to be forgiven, then I want to invite you to come down front, and I want to pray with you, and I'll be glad to help you do that. And when he did that, one man stepped out, and he came down the aisle, and he came down to meet the preacher. And as he came down, he was praying out loud, and this is what he was saying. Oh, God, make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. And when he got up close to the preacher, the preacher leaned down and said, Don't you mean make me like Jesus? And the man looked at him with a funny look on his face, and he said, Is he like Joe? And what was he saying? He was saying, I really don't know about Jesus, but I know this guy who helps people here. I know this guy who loves people here. I know this guy who cares about people and and if he's uh, like Jesus, you know, if that's what Jesus is like, I, I want to know Jesus too. Now let me ask you, do people ever look at you and see Jesus? Do people ever look at you and what you say and what you do and the way you act and the way you reach out and the way you minister to them? Do they ever look at you and just see Jesus? Do they ever look at your eyes and see eyes of compassion? Do they see your smile? Do they see your heart? Do they see that you care? Do they see that you even notice them when they pass by? Because there are a lot of people who are looking for somebody to care about them. When's the last time somebody said something about you like that? Then the third great challenge is serving. If people love God, then they will serve God. When you love somebody or something, then you make a priority out of that, don't you? You sacrifice. We've got a granddaughter. You've probably heard about her if you've been to church. And she's going to be three in July. Yay. Okay. So every time I turn around, my daughter, or my daughter, my wife is ordering things for our granddaughter and sending them to our daughter. And so she goes out and gets stuff. In fact, when we get pictures back, Laura will say, we bought her that. We bought her that. We buy toys. We buy clothes. But here's the thing. Elizabeth will dress her in the clothes that we buy, right? She'll have on a dress for Easter, as a matter of fact, and shoes. You've got to have shoes to match. Okay, so we bought her some stuff. And so everybody makes a big deal out of it. They love it. 
And when Elizabeth tells them where my wife got it, they can't believe it. She says, go to Sam's. That's where they bought it. It's a little added bonus, a little thing. You didn't expect it today. I'm just sharing things with you, okay? So you never know the benefit from coming, right? Now, the church is not the building. It's the people. But because we love God, we want to serve Him. And our service to God through the church makes a difference. This past week, we were in a, a class. Ron Ball coaches us, and there's a group of us that meet together. And he said he went into Walmart, and he saw a T-shirt that about a 10-year-old boy was wearing. And this is what it said on it. If serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. Now, that's good enough. We wrote that down. I don't notice many of you taking out your pencils and pens right now, but that's a nugget, Okay. So write it down. It's a good one. You'll, you'll think, oh, I got it. And then you'll go home and you'll get the first part. And then you'll go, I can't remember the second part. You know, if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. Now, I like college football, and I love to watch it, and I, and, and I enjoy it. You know, but a few years ago, when our daughter Elizabeth was small, she got with a girl next door, and her daddy was a coach, and she decided she would play soccer. They didn't have soccer when I was growing up. They hadn't even invented soccer when I was growing up, okay? So we didn't play soccer. I didn't know anything about it. But I got interested in it because Elizabeth was in it. And so I would go and watch all her games. I would go to practice with her. I would be there, you know, and I would learn about soccer. I didn't, I didn't know a lot of things about it. Well, here's what I also learned. Football is the largest spectator sport in America today. Would you agree with that? There's a lot of people that like to watch it. But soccer has become the most participatory sport in America. Not everybody can play football. I played in high school. If I tried to play now, I'd just break everything. It'd be ugly, right? But, you know, soccer, you can play that, and a lot of people can play that. With football, most people just watch it. But with soccer, people actually play it. Now, there's a lot of people involved, but they're involved in two different ways. And the question I want to ask today is, are you and I football Christians or soccer Christians? Do you come to church to spectate or to participate? The way you answer that will say a great deal about your faith. We're always trying to help people get involved to do what? Get involved in a life group so that they can study and get involved in serving using their spiritual gifts. One of our guys this past week, he was just frustrated. I get frustrated too because we got all these folks in the church, but we can't get them all to participate in those two things. But if they would, they would grow in their faith. It would be of benefit to them. They would learn things, and when they would put them to action. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. And that's what Christians do. We're to serve. And so he got down on his knees, and he washed their feet. And then what did he say to them? Go and do likewise. So that's an imperative from Jesus. Being a follower of Christ is being a servant. Now, I said earlier in this sermon, the longer I live, the more I'm convinced that people don't need to be impressed as much as they need to be encouraged. I would say that's true. And recently I heard something that went along with that. Tony Campolo is an author and writer, and he teaches at Eastern Pennsylvania <laughs> University. He grew up in a church there in, in his hometown, and when he, the church began to change, the town began to change. 
And so uh, some of the white people started moving out, and, but some of the African-American people started moving in. And he had a church, and he had a house, and he just stayed there, and he decided to live there. And so now he attends his church. It's predominantly African-American. And there's a preacher there that's been there for about 30 years now. And so he's an old African-American preacher. And one day they were having student recognition day, and all the students were up talking about their dreams and goals and ambitions, and the preacher was getting impatient. He was ready to get up and talk. So when they finally got through talking, he got up and he said, Now, my little children, there's something I want to say to you. You've got goals and ambitions and plans and dreams, and that's nice. But I want to tell you something, and I want you to listen closely. One of these days, he said, you're going to die, and they're going to take you out to the cemetery, and they're going to throw you in a six-foot hole out there, and they're going to throw dirt on your face, and then they're all going to go back up to the church house and eat potato salad. (laughs) Then he said, listen, when you came into this world, everybody was laughing, and you were the only one crying. When you go out of this world, you could be the only one laughing when everybody else is crying. But it all depends on the way that you live. How are you going to live your life? And then he said this, don't live your life for titles. Live them for testimonies. They're much better. He said, don't live your life for a title. That's a small stuff. A testimony makes a big difference. He said, Pharaoh had a title, but Moses had a testimony. Nebuchadnezzar had a title, but Daniel had a testimony. Jezebel had a title. But Elijah had a testimony. Pontius Pilate had a title. But King Jesus had a testimony. And then he said this, young people, it's so important to make up your mind right now whether you're going to live for titles or testimonies. Do you understand what he was saying? A testimony will long outlive a title. People will remember you for your genuine faith. The greatest testimonies come from people who do the most serving. The greatest church testimonies come from churches that have people who serve. A stonemason was working one day on a church stone. It was going to be the stone that was going to be on the pinnacle of the sanctuary. And so he had to carve it and make it fit just right. He was on the ground working on it, and the preacher came out, and he said, What are you doing? And he said, "Well, Well, I'm trying to shape this last stone to put it up as the pinnacle of the new sanctuary. And the stonemason said, I'm shaping it down here so it will fit up there. i got to work on it and make it just right so that it will fit when I take it up there. That's what God's doing with the church. He's shaping it down here so it will fit up there. Now, let me tell you something. I've been around a lot of people who are near death. And I've noticed how their priorities change the closer they get to death. The things that they used to think were important are not so important anymore, and they get real focused on just a few things. They're looking at their lives, and they're saying, you know, I don't need all that anymore. I don't need this. I visited a 90-year-old man the other day. He's one of the happiest people you'll ever meet. He is a veteran. He's a member of our church, and he's bent over like this. He, He can't stand up straight. He smiles all the time. He used to live in Bay Point, and now he lives over at Chester Sims over in Callaway. And so I went over to visit him over there. Went down to his room. You know, he's 90 years old. Most of the people over there in wheelchairs, you know what he does? He walks down to the lobby, and then he goes out, and he starts doing uh, ovals out there. He starts walking around the parking lot out there. He's got a big circle, and he's, he's doing his exercise out there. He just keeps going strong. You know, God 
is somebody who's, who's working in our lives all the time. And the closer we get to meeting him, the more focused we get on him. Abraham Lincoln said the sermon failed because the minister failed to ask the congregation to do something great. So would you accept the challenge today, loving as God loves without limits, serving as God serves without limits, giving as God gives without limits? If you'll accept that, you and I can always be a part of a healthy church. Let's pray together. Father, we're just so grateful that you have blessed us, and we pray that, that you might enable us to be the people and the church you've called us to be. I pray in your son's name. Amen.